You're listening to Team Talk, a podcast by the Evangelical Movement of Wales to support church leaders. Welcome to the Team Talk podcast, the Evangelical Movement of Wales. Delighted again that you've been able to join us for part two of looking at overcoming difficulties in prayer. And once again, I'm joined on this occasion by our good friend, Stuart Olliot. Very warm welcome to you, Stuart. Thank you. Glad to be back. We did say that in this session, we might look at some of the more um, specific challenges that may be a, a mature Christian or somebody who's been a Christian for some time might be experiencing, but perhaps a way of leading into that. Well, there are ups and downs in life, aren't there? There are times when maybe we we might get unwell or we might be particularly blessed in some way. Our prayer life is not a simple continuous line, is it? There, no, no, not there at are, all. There are ups and downs, and that's normal, isn't it? Yes, it is. Yes. And there are times when our, our soul is in better health than other times. And there are times when our, our, our bodies are, are suffering. And Scripture is quite clear that we're, we're psychosomatic entities, is what I was told as a teenager. In other words, body and soul are so linked that the state of the body affects the state of the soul, same as the, the, the state of the soul affects the state of the body. Picking up on that... Mm-hmm. There's often a popular idea or the assumption amongst us that if we go through a time of difficulty, that's got to be good for us spiritually. And we know that there are many testimonies of people who've gone through great suffering and great difficulty and their prayer lives have really ignited. Yes. But it's not always the case, is it? No, it's not always the case. Hudson Taylor, for example, had a time when he was he was completely worn out and he, he had to leave China and he was in... He was in Switzerland during that time away from China, and he said to his wife, I'm, I'm so tired, he said. I'm just so tired. And she said, yes, darling. And he said, I, I'm too tired to read the Bible. And she said, yes, darling. And he said, I'm, I'm too tired to pray. And she said, yes, darling. And all you've got to do now is lie back in the fatherly arms of God. And I think that's enormously helpful. There are times where we're so overcome, overcome with fatigue or with circumstances or with stress or with church difficulties that all the energy has gone out of us. And the thought then of laboring and striving in prayer is is completely beyond us. But he remembers our frame. He knows that we are but dust. And there are times when we just lie back and bathe in the the fatherly love of God. We have nothing to say except just to nestle down in his arms. I I would say that silence is a major part of true prayer. Would you like to say a bit more about that? Because maybe that's a concept which is a bit new to some of our listeners. I remember when, when Doll and I would sometimes, on holiday particularly, but other times too, uh, see something which was particularly beautiful. And we said nothing to each other because we knew that if we did, we would spoil the moment, as it were. Um, we just found ourselves holding hands and there was a level of communication going on at that moment, which would have been reduced 
and I would say even polluted or spoiled by words. I think that's something of what Paul is getting at in, in Romans 8.26, when he says that there are certain prayers which are actually unutterable. It's not that we don't utter them, it's just actually that they are actually unutterable. And there are times when our hearts are just aching and yearning and longing. Uh, our affections are going in a certain direction, but we, we just haven't got the words, and I don't know even if there are the words. And so we just cry out inside our souls. And at that point, Scripture says, yes. And these are prayers which have been put there by the Holy Spirit. And they're well understood in, in heaven. Uh, I find that enormously encouraging. That is, isn't it? Yeah. And I suppose yeah. there are times when perhaps we are just conscious of the Lord's presence with us. There are, and we, and we, and we, we, just, we just bathe in it. I'm sure that when Mary was sitting at the Saviour's feet, she didn't actually say very much. Mm. Now, if somebody's listening to this podcast, Stuart, and they are a burnt-out leader, and let's face it, you know, church leaders have been under, some anyway, have been under a great, huge amount of pressure with this pandemic. Yes. And maybe they're nursing this sense that I'm just too tired to pray. I'm just too tired to do the normal things or the regular things in devo my devotions that I would normally do. I think the question to ask at that moment is, where is your heart? If, if you had the energy, you don't at this particular moment, but if you had the energy at this particular moment, what, what would you do with it? Well, would you lay hold on God? Is that what you would desire to do? And as long as your, your desire is still towards God, I don't think there's a, a, a problem at all, frankly. Mm -hmm. I, I think there are times where the, we, we just nestle down in the Lord's presence and he carries us through. A lot of people who know me know I go, for, I go for a walk every day and most of my praying is done walking. But what I don't tell people is sometimes my walking is completely silent. Sometimes I'm so awed by the, the being of God, I, I have nothing to say. And sometimes I'm just too mentally fatigued to say anything. It happened yesterday morning. I, I just went for a walk. I didn't talk to anybody. And uh, apart from one lady who had two tiny toddlers and a s small girl and a dog, and she was trying to manage them all at once, and I said a couple of cheerful words to her. But I believe my soul was longing for God, and I was, I was admiring his creation, and I was, I was wondering at the sky over my head and the grass under my feet. But... There were no words necessary for that communication. I think that's part of prayer as well. Mm. It's having that confidence in God that he doesn't need us to articulate perfectly what's no. going on inside. He knows our hearts. Exactly that. And, it's, and prayer ultimately, is the, as I keep saying, is the engaging of spirit meeting spirit. Mm -hmm. Well, leading on from this, um, Stuart, I think there's an area which is often neglected amongst Christians, though, in fairness, I did read a very helpful book on this by Dr. Pablo Martinez. Go on. I think the book is called Praying Either With the Grain or Against the Grain. I can't quite remember now. The exact, but you get the gist of the book title. And he he's a Christian, and he his uh, profession is he's a psychiatrist. And he wrote this book acknowledging the fact that we have different temperaments as Christians. Yeah, I'm sure that's right. And the way one Christian might approach prayer could be very different from someone else. And I think in the book he talks about people 
who are able to sustain long periods of ordered thinking. And then there are some people whose minds are all over the place all of the time. So as as Calvin rightly says, um, all true knowledge is knowing God and knowing yourself. Mm. And I'm not you and you're not me. But I heard a, a question pretty much similar to this asked in the Westminster Fellowship years ago to Dr. Lloyd-Jones. And he, his answer was quite simple. He says, do whatever will get you going, he said. With some people, he says, it might surprise you. It's sitting, listening to classical music will get them going. And I, I can't remember about much what else, but I do remember he said, do whatever will get you going. Um, for me, I, I, was, I was taught from my early Christian life that the first thing you do is you get out of bed and you have a quiet time and you do this before you have anything else, you do anything else at all, even at breakfast. Um, that's never worked for me. I, I get out of bed and I have to have breakfast. I'm, I'm just a dead man and, until I eat. So no good before your coffee. <laughs> well, I don't even do. I just have to eat, and uh, I have breakfast. Then I have then I have my time with the Lord, my, my main time of the day with the Lord. But I I have to I have to have breakfast first. And that's what gets me going. Excellent, and I think you're acknowledging there, Stuart, that there has been an approach to personal devotions which has been sometimes quite formulaic. And uh, yeah. pressing almost a particular model on the individual. Yeah, I think it's right to keep stressing that the, a personal devotional life, which is separate actually from our sermon preparation, is of the highest importance. But it doesn't mean that we're all the same and we we'll all do it in the same way. I would encourage people to have lots of little quiet times, perhaps rather than one big one or two big ones. I once read a, a a comment by the Norwegian explorer Erling Kag, and he said, "Even a mouse can eat an elephant if it takes small enough bites." And it was the small enough bites bit that hit me. Mm. And so, why not have a short, quiet time before or after breakfast, and a short one at lunchtime, and a short one at the end of the afternoon, and a short one at the end of the evening, and a short one when you get into bed. Uh, that would suit some people far better. Mm-hmm. And and that would help you maintain your communion with God perhaps in a better way than whatever you may be doing at the moment. I also believe that to him who has more will be given. So I believe that, as the Savior says, I believe that in engaging in, in communion with God, actually our capacity also grows. Mm-hmm. But I can't imagine myself spending hours and hours and hours in prayer. Um, I can I can imagine myself doing that if I'm out for a walk, but I can't imagine myself doing that inside the house or flat. I imagine this might come as a relief to some people. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah. Your, your honesty about this, but also the advice, because I think this issue of a particular model, you know, you should be spending at least an hour in prayer before the day begins sort of thing. If you're not, you're a rubbish kind of church leader. It's surprising how easily we buy into that. Yes, sort of and it's not even practicable. If you've got a, let's say you've you've got a wife who has some some d- disabilities, and you've got small children, and they've got to be prepared for school, and the, the the whole concept of having a long, long quiet time in the morning is just completely impossible. Mm. You know, the, there are lunchbox that need to be prepared. There's there's children have to be got ready, and there's so many other things that have to be done. But that doesn't mean that you can't have a sustained communion with God throughout the day. But maybe many quiet times is the answer for you. 
Mm. Yeah. So having that flexibility, but keeping your eye on the big purpose, the main reason for yes, it. Yes, the big, the big purpose is not just, I was told as a, a young Christian, a chapter a day keeps the devil away. Right. Yeah. Well, okay, I understood what we, what's behind that. But it's just possible to say, I'll, I'll fill this hour with godly things and I've done my bit for the day. That's not what it's all about. The Christian life is communion with God. It's enjoying God. It's glorifying God. It's being the friend of God. Hmm. Now, keep talking of keeping the devil away, something that happens sometimes to Christians in prayer is the problem of unwanted thoughts. And these might be sometimes extremely distressing. Yes. They could even be in the form of blasphemous thoughts. They can be. Have you any advice? Well, this is, this is part and parcel of, of Christian experience, and it's part and parcel of the spiritual battle in which we're all engaged. Um, the, the devil is a real person, and he, he will do everything he can to destroy our communion with God. So distracting, blasphemous, awful, unexpected thoughts are, are part of the Christian life because they're part of the devil's activity against us. Um, all I would say is this, that Prayer is telling the Lord everything that's on your heart at the moment. So here I am talking to the Lord and suddenly I have a terrible thought. So now I say, Lord, I've just had a terrible thought. I'm, I'm ashamed of it and I'm under attack from the evil one. And you, you start talking to the Lord about it. So the distracting thought, even the blasphemous thought, hasn't interrupted your flow of communion with God. Mm. I would say my worst thoughts in my life have been either in the place of prayer or during the singing of hymns in public worship. Mm. Personally, I, I have terrible, terrible thoughts, especially about people when I'm sometimes when I'm singing hymns. And it's, it's the evil one. Uh, yesterday, yesterday morning, I was I was singing Psalm 109, which is a, an imprecatory, an imprecatory psalm. And I was I was praying against the wickedness of this hour and re, rejoicing in the the triumph of Christ. And then suddenly I was completely distracted by something which I remembered from Downton Abbey. Mm-hmm. And where on earth did that come from? <laughs> there was no, there's no connection. Yeah. The question where, where on earth did that come from is interesting, isn't it? Again, I don't want us to go down a rabbit hole here, but mm. are, are these the actual thoughts that Satan puts in the mind of the believer? Yes, I think, actually, yeah, I think yeah. they are. Yes. Yeah. Yes, yeah. I'm not going to blame everything on the devil. We've got, I'm going to take my full responsibility for being the sinner I am. Yeah. But we don't talk enough about the devil, and the Bible mm-hmm. talks about the devil from chapter three, and he's the devil's still there at the at the in at the, at the very end of the Bible, and we, mm-hmm. we actually have the dealings with the devil. We were his subjects. We are no longer his subjects, and he's fed up about it. We mm-hmm. must we must expect, especially as ministers of the gospel to be under his particular attention and attack. Wasn't there an incident in the early life of Spurgeon when he was a little lad and he was troubled by these kinds of thoughts and he mentioned it to his grandfather Mm -hmm. who told him these are the devil's brats. (laughs) He spoke of these unwanted thoughts and that that stuck with me. I think that's been helpful. And I think he's exactly right, yes. Yeah. I find for myself, I'm only talking about me, I'm far less distracted when I'm out walking, praying, than I am when I'm in the house for some reason. But that's, right. again, we're back to temperament. and Yes, and the relationship of the body and movement. Well, I'm sure that's helpful.
Yeah, I think, I think it's an undervalued area amongst us. We've been designed to move. Sitting still for longer than 25 minutes, I think, is a, gra- a very grave mistake. Yeah. We should always yeah. be moving around, but that's, that's part of the, the way the Lord has made us. Yeah. And presumably you could pray on a bike as well. It doesn't have to just be walking. Yeah, you can pray on a bike, yes. So, uh, I, yeah, I personally prefer the walk because it's slower, and I, I think there are only two speeds in the Christian life, and I think that they are slow and stop. Right. I, I think hurry is an enemy of spirituality. I think noise is an enemy of spirituality. And I think that crowds are an enemy enemy of spirituality. I think we've got to get away from hurry and noise and crowds as far as possible. So slow, silence and solitude. Yeah, I think they are essential elements. Yeah. And I, I would, you know, I'd, I'd remind folks you can be, you can have solitude even even in a crowded place. So we read once in the scripture when he was, when he was praying alone with his disciples with him, <laughs> I think that's Luke 11 or somewhere, you can actually have communion with God in a crowded place, but you somehow have got to withdraw in your soul. And we're back to soul to soul, heart to heart, spirit to spirit. So acknowledging who we are is so important. Keeping our eyes focused on what prayer really is. Yes. One thing we haven't talked about, and perhaps this might bring us to a sort of conclusion on this, I know I've heard over the years older Christians speak about the note of expectancy. Yes. They often speak about it negatively, that we don't have expectancy or there isn't enough expectancy. Generally, I think they're referring to the church prayer meeting or the church at prayer. But how about the individual and expectancy in prayer? Do you have any comments on that? Well, there is such a thing as what our forefathers called the prayer of faith. And the prayer of faith is where you've, you're, you're in the presence of God and you're communing with him and it's clear from his word and from the promptings of his spirit that you should pray about a particular thing. And you do. And as you pray about it, you come little by little or sometimes suddenly to the assurance that the loaf has been thrown out of the window, even if it isn't, hasn't yet landed in your hands. The answer is on the way and you you just bathe in the assurance that your prayer has been answered. And that's also part, I believe, of the adventure of the Christian life. And mm-hmm. you, you see it in top la- Augustus Top Lady. You see it in the, the Scottish Covenanters and the Reformers since then. You see it in Spurgeon. You see it in Hudson Taylor and C.T. Studd um, and, and many others too. Elwyn Davis um, would, would be a, has written on the subject as well. I don't think we talk enough about the prayer of faith. Mm. And it's a glorious thing. Amen. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> and I have to say, this has been glorious being able to talk to you about this. And I'm sure it's been a real encouragement to many people who will listen both to this part two of podcast, looking at overcoming difficulties in prayer. And if you have joined us just at part two, the good news for you is there was a part one. And uh, we encourage you to go and listen to that as well. We genuinely hope this has been a blessing to you and will be a blessing to you all in your own praying, your own communing with God. So a very big thanks to you, Stuart, again for joining us. Thank you very much. And I hope you'll be able to join us again on a future podcast. That would be wonderful if you felt you were able to do that. We would love to hear from you. So thank you very much for joining us today. I've been Phil Swan. Indeed, I still am Phil Swan. (laughs) and uh, we look forward to you joining us again at a future occasion 
God bless you.